You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Today, we are here to discuss Raiders of the Lost Ark. Otherwise known in some circles as Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And if you can't hear me rolling my eyes when I say that second title, I am, because I have grown up knowing this as Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I will continue to call it Raiders of the Lost Ark. It came out in 1981, and it's just about to turn 40. Happy 40th anniversary to Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was directed by Steven Spielberg, and it stars Harrison Ford, Karen Allen, Paul Freeman, John Rhys Davies, Ronald Lacey, Denham Elliott... Wolf Kaler, and in an early role, I think maybe one of his first roles on screen, Alfred Molina. The genre is action-adventure. Man, was there anyone who looked cooler than Ford in the opening sequence of this film? Even when he's not being cool, trying to quip in Spanish, tripping in front of boulders, freaking out about Reggie the Snake, or just saying Belloc, it just gets better from there. There's a big snake in the plane, Jock! Oh, that's just my pet snake, Reggie! I hate snakes, Shock! I hate them! Come on, show a little backbone, will ya? We find out that he's an archaeology professor. Gratefully, he's also above giving in to the advances from his younger students. And he's also lecturing government officials about the history of the Ark of the Covenant and the ancient city of Tanis. And then there's Denim Elliott who's coming through as his hype man, warning with dread in his voice, any army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. You need to understand Hitler's interest in this. Oh, yes. The Bible speaks of the Ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. An army which carries the Ark before it is invincible. It's such a great setup for an adventure, and apparently 40 years ago, pretty much everyone on the planet just ate it all up. If you can imagine the absurdly high bar set for Raiders when it first came out, this was hyped as the first collaboration between the creator of Jaws, Steven Spielberg, and Star Wars, George Lucas. And both of those films had come out just a few years prior and taken the world by storm. In retrospect, it's pretty amazing that a film with that kind of pedigree actually lived up to expectations. I mean, why don't we just throw in the right of Rocky while you're at it? That came out in 76. But no, you actually did have a screenplay from the writer-director of the impressive thriller Body Heat, which would open later that summer. So there was that. Yeah, Lawrence Kasdan, he wrote the screenplay for this. And just the year before that, he also collaborated on the screenplay for a somewhat memorable sequel you might have heard of called Empire Strikes Back. Talk about setting a high bar. Beyond that, all of the major players involved with this movie, they were pretty much attempting, at the time, an Americanized version of James Bond. That's really what they were going for. And this was because Spielberg himself couldn't convince Eon Productions at the time to let him direct his own Bond film. 
So what they ended up with was actually a seminal hero who was actually even more relatable than 007. Outside of maybe Witness, Harrison Ford has never been more charming or engaging than he is in this first performance as Dr. Henry Jones. The fedora, the whip, the scruff, it certainly helped him leave his mark as a truly charismatic figure, but he also makes this character funny, sharp, flawed, and even a bit cowardly, but all in the best ways. Not the man I knew 10 years ago. It's not the years, it's the mileage. And Karen Allen provides him with a great romantic foil as Marion Ravenswood. Yes, her character gets more relegated to kind of a damsel in distress role later in the film, but she still brings a lot of indelible humor to the film. This includes her priceless reaction to whom I would consider the film's most standout villain. His name is Tote. He's that creepy Nazi thug played with a delightful sneer, wearing leather coats, played by Ronald Lacey. Good evening, Fräulein. The bar is closed. We are... We are... Not thirsty. When he encounters Marion in a tent late in the film, he freaks her out with some sort of black nunchuck-type weapon. As he takes it out, there's chains, and you don't know what's going to happen. And she, you know, quivers, and she's scared. And it just turns out to be a foldable coat hanger to hang his coat on. It's, it's really one of the best sight gags in a film that is filled with great sight gags. And many of those gags are at the expense of Nazis. And Nazis always make good foils for such things. The tone of this film, I would say it's equal parts fun and suspenseful. This is definitely Spielberg at his best with this type of genre film. As with Jaws and the next two Indiana Jones movies, the film is quite playful with its premise until shit gets real in the third act when it's all played suitably straight. Whatever fun you've had up until that point, Spielberg is not about to sugarcoat it, just like when at the end of Jaws when we finally see Quint get eaten alive, or this time around when we see the Nazis open that arc. And we know what happens, their faces melt, it's all kind of spooky. But up until its uniquely disturbing climax, Raiders offers a series of dazzling set pieces all featuring next-level stunt work, especially the often replicated but never equaled truck chase. This is just one of the great action set pieces of its time, or any time for that matter. Special recognition has to go to master stuntman Vic Armstrong. He was not only Ford's stunt double in this film, but he was also the, the stunt coordinator for Raiders. The stuff he's able to physically pull off just climbing the undercarriage of a fast-moving truck, it still holds up. It's still impressive. Everyone involved deserves special praise for this film, including Lucas, who was the brainchild of the Indiana Jones character. But really, we cannot leave out the impressive work of composer John Williams. He not only delivered a rousing adventure score to keep us enthralled throughout, but there's also a gorgeous old-school love theme that's called Marion's Theme that plays throughout. He also gave us what I think might be the most catchiest, most hummable theme for any cinematic hero. It's called the Raiders March. And if it's not the best hero theme in a movie, it's certainly in the upper echelons. Right alongside Isaac Hayes' Shaft theme, Monty Norman's theme for James Bond, Elfman's Batman theme, and maybe a few others I'm forgetting. All in all, this film is a ride that delivers everything you could want in just under two hours of entertainment. 
Ford certainly left his mark with this character to the point where, even 40 years later, folks still want him to return as Indy, even though he's now pushing 80. Me personally, after the dullness of Crystal Skull, which was the last movie, I'm not really so sure that's necessary, but we will always have Raiders, regardless. And it's two highly enjoyable sequels, even if they're a little slightly inferior. And that brings us to the categories. The first category is Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or score used throughout the runtime of the film. And music, as I've said before, and will continue to say, is essential to film. And this film is a great demonstration of that. The score for Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's one for the ages, and it's genuinely difficult to pick out just one portion of it that works the best. And this is actually a soundtrack that I grew up listening to quite a bit. And for me, if there's still one track from it that really stands out the most, it would be the track called The Map Room Dawn. Now, if you don't remember this music or the scene, this is the stirring music that plays when Indy enters the map room with the staff of Ra, and he waits for the sun to shine in so it could point him to where he can find the Well of Souls. It's a great scene. It's a very memorable scene. As the sunlight is shining into him, the music builds and builds and builds. Whatever you might actually believe from a religious perspective, this is Spielberg actually having the audacity to show us God communicating with Indy at this very moment. The production design for this hidden room, it's just, it's perfect. It has that mysterious look. And of course, you could see the awe of this moment all over Ford's face. He plays it beautifully. But what really sells this moment is that music. And that brings us to the next category, and that would be Wasted Talent. Wasted Talent is the most underutilized talent involved with this film. If I had to pick one, I would pick Denim Elliott. Denim Elliott has always had such a sharp, intuitive presence whenever I saw him on screen. And he has some big expositional lines early on in this movie. Even compared to Jones, his Marcus Brody comes off as the smartest guy in the room when they're first talking about that arc. Well, I mean that for nearly 3,000 years, man has been searching for the last arc. Not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. It's like nothing you've ever gone after before. <laughs> oh, Marcus! But then, Elliot's pretty much off-screen after the first 20 minutes of the movie, and we never really hear anything else from him until the final scene. Now, I'm not sure how Brody could have been worked into the action of the film beyond that, but I just wanted more from him. Maybe just have Jones call him in the middle of the movie from Cairo, asking him to get some input on the staff of Ra. Bottom line, as much as I love Ford in this movie, there is no one who's better at giving stirring descriptions of the arc than Denim Ellie in this movie, and I just wanted more. But that's a small quibble. And that brings us to the next category, and that would be trailer moments. The trailer moment is the scene or the moment that best describes this movie. If you're selling this movie to somebody, this is what you want to show them. And my pick for this, it has to be Indy outrunning that giant boulder in the opening sequence. It's just a no-brainer, right? Well, just after re-watching this movie, I actually did check out the original theatrical trailer for Raiders, and there it is. Jones running in front of that boulder is literally the last shot of that trailer. It's the money shot. It's one of the definitive moments for the franchise of Spielberg's filmography, even for just movies in general. Chances are, if you have seen any extended montage of the history of Hollywood and movies, this shot will be featured in that montage. It's that memorable. 
And that brings us to the final category, and that would be MVP. The MVP is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. This is a tough one. I mean, you have a murderer's row here. You have some amazing talent on this movie. You had Spielberg. You had Lucas. You had Lawrence Kasdan. You had multiple Oscar winner Norman Reynolds, who did the production design. You had longtime Spielberg collaborator Michael Kahn, who edited this. And you even had legendary cinematographer Douglas Slocum. He was the DP for this. For Slocum, this was just capping off a crazy, diverse decade of memorable-looking films, including The Italian Job, Jesus Christ Superstar, and Rollerball. And of course, Ford also deserves some props. He defines the role of Indiana Jones to this day as well. But for someone like myself, who is always preaching the importance of music to the film, the answer has got to be Johnny Williams. That's how I call him, Johnny Williams. I mean, this film just does not work without his score. There are so many disparate elements. You've got snakes, sorry, asps, they're asps. You have Nazis with scary coat hangers, the wrath of God, monkey assassins, bad dates, cavernous warehouses, the works. Williams really covers all the bases here. There's scary music, there's romantic music, there's triumphant music, and it all just blends seamlessly. Choosing the composer for MVP might be a controversial choice for such an iconic movie, but it's a truly iconic score, so it's got to go to John Williams. And finally, that brings me to my rating for this film. It should go without saying. This is a five out of five star movie. It's near perfection. I could not recommend it enough. I've had the privilege of seeing this movie in theaters, and if you can, I would highly encourage you to do so. I think I actually heard they're going to re-release it a little bit this summer. The actual anniversary, the 40th anniversary is on June 12th, and I believe there are plans to have a short-term re-release of the film. So if you could see it in theaters, see it in theaters. That boulder will look even more impressive seeing it in theaters. But if you want to check it out at home on streaming, it's also on Paramount+. Plus. Whatever, regardless, if you haven't seen this movie, see it. If you've seen it already, see it again. <laughs> it's that good. And that ends another episode of Living for the Cinema. Please subscribe to Living for the Cinema on all platforms where podcasts are available. And also feel free to visit our new Facebook page, Living for the Cinema Podcast. Stay tuned and join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.